Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode, episode 18. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Doing good, doing good. Over here in Louisiana this week, so it's odd to be recording the pod, the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast from Louisiana at the uh, Monroe office of R-Square Global, but that's where I'm at this week. Awesome, man. You get to you get to enjoy, enjoy some of the humidity over there, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, it's funny. It rained a couple uh, a couple times while we've been here, and so it's really knocked down the humidity, or I, or I probably just passed out. I just can't take that no more. <laughs> Well, uh, as always, we uh, we kind of start off with uh, drawing, uh, reminding you to go check out the jobs we have posted at globalenergymedia.com slash jobs. Ryan, I was checking, I think June 23rd was uh, was the last time the jobs were posted, so we got a couple weeks here. We haven't, uh, we haven't gotten those updated. You, you couldn't have told me about this before we got on, huh? You just had to, you had to get on and, and okay, well, look, I'll tell you what, I will... Uh... This will come out on Monday, so I will make sure that they are updated Monday with fresh jobs because I have been slacking on that, Josh. You went to Fiji and Tahiti and to Brazil and all that stuff, and I had to do interviews and mix audio. And sorry, I'm sorry, man. I can't do it all, but I will get on it for Monday's release, okay? All right. Well, uh, conveniently for us, the, the jobs are still 18 from last week, so uh didn't have to do, do much counting or anything this week. <laughs> Well, uh, there's a couple of a couple of articles we was going to jump into, Ryan. There's uh, two in particular that were very interesting. We're going to spend some time on, and we had two we're going to finish up with. The first one is an article by John Kemp. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. The title of the article is "U.S. Drilling Costs Start to Rise as Rig Count Climbs." Um, what, what's the uh, What's the news in your world? I mean, how are you seeing what he's talking about in this article play out, right? Yeah, Josh, I think the first thing is, we talked about it before, if you're not getting John Kemp's daily email from Reuters, then you're, you're missing out on some good stuff here. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of a lot of statistics in here I'm sure we're going to get into, but the, the biggest thing that I think you take away is is that the correlation between the price increasing and the rig count increasing has not related to what people are charging for those services. And that's because vendors are nervous about losing out on bids. And so right now, the the producers kind of have vendors in a unique position. They're still holding vendors to a, a tight margin saying, hey, you can bump it up a little bit maybe, but we still want our cost to be really low. Um, and vendors are all obviously scared. They need to make money just like everyone else. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting dynamic here is that the rigs are rising. But the, the biggest takeaway for me, at least from a vendor standpoint, was you know those margins that we're used to, they're still not coming back even though the rig count has has, has risen. Yeah, that's that's been a, that's been an interesting deal. We've uh, we've touched on that uh, in, in different different shows that we've done. I'm looking here. The drilling costs were up by eight percent in June of 2017. So the Costs were, were slowly uh, starting to rise, and uh, and and I think uh, it has here that the the rise in drilling costs has barely started to reverse the previous thirty four percent decline reported between March twenty fourteen and November twenty sixteen. So it, it's a it's a small move in the right direction, but right. Uh, with with the supply and stuff, just hope to see it continue. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, thirty four percent decrease. We we made eight percent of that back up, at least on the vendor side of things. And 
you know, it, it's uh, it's going to take a little while. And I think, like we've talked on here before, the longer that the market is, the prices stabilize, um, the more confident producers are going to be that they can sustain their drilling program. Well, I think then we'll see this 34%, um, you know, the 8% we've gained. We'll gain some more. I don't know if we'll ever get the whole 34% back if prices stay where they're at. It'll be interesting to see because we talked about this probably one of the first couple episodes, Josh. You know, one of the things is you hear people talk about break-even prices. And, you know, when price, one of the things that I think that kind of gets lost, especially if you're not in the business, is you don't realize how much waste goes on um, when, when, when prices are really high. When, it's, when prices are $100 a barrel, waste is just, is just part of the game. And that's because the, the companies want the job done as quick as humanly possible. And so they may explore three to four different routes. They may um, overpay for acreage. They may overpay for right-of-way. You know, every, there's overpaying and waste, what I'm calling waste, going on throughout all phases and that means that vendors have to bring on more people they're staffing up more so there's just there's just excess everywhere right well so then when you start cutting down the price starts dropping and the producers at the midstream company say well we can't afford as much well we start adjusting you know the vendors we say okay well we've got to lay off some staff we've got to adjust our rates we've got to do all this stuff and and it's kind of a deal where if you're a vendor you've got to decide how aggressive with your cuts are you going to be because you don't know what your competition's doing and so you're trying to figure out okay well um, you know, with my current overhead and my current staff, my current billing rates, you know, how much do I need to cut? How fast do I need to cut it? And then eventually you kind of figure out, okay, this is where I need to be. And then you're just hoping that you're not, you know, cutting yourself too low where you could be making a little bit more money, but you're not. So it's, it's, a, it's just a tough thing to figure out. And so um, at the end of the day, I just kind of hope that if we can get these prices to stabilize, you can see the vendors to get back some of that money because the waste has gone down now. We're seeing on our projects that, um, you know, we're, we're a lot more efficient. Companies are saying, hey, we want it done right the first time. And so you know, everything's being more efficient, which means that, hey, the, the true break-even cost for this particular client that we're working for maybe is going to be a lot closer than what it was when oil was $100 a barrel um, because we everything has kind of balanced itself out. So I think that's kind of gets lost in some of these discussions. Um, obviously, this is talking about the drilling rigs, but, you know, me as a vendor, I think about all the vendors that are involved with the process. Yeah, well, I think that's it's always important to uh, – to, I mean – in any economy, when the supply gets that high, you're you're going to have a little bit uh, more freedom and laxity with the the way you handle spending. Uh, I think it's interesting if you look at uh, one of the stats he has in here. In the early summer of 2016, there were 2,100 rigs available for use in the United States. Uh, only 455 were operating. Uh, compared to, I believe, uh, the latest rig count that we're going to get to shortly has us at, uh, it was like nine, 980 or somewhere, something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, you see that the rig count is, is at least doubled since. Yeah, it's uh, doubled, right. It's doubled, and it says that uh, at least the rig cost has only risen by less than 3%. And so, you know, you just look at these numbers, and, and, the, and look, I, I'm not complaining. I'm not sitting here going, oh, what was me? I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm glad to have a job and be working. Um, but it's just one of these things where when you look at the market and when prices are really high and you see these projections about what break-even is, people really don't know because there's just so much going on. And the, now that we're starting to level off, what we're seeing is the producers have ramped up a double production um, across the U.S., but the prices have only increased 3%. Why? Because vendors are trying to be smart. They're trying to stay in business. They're trying to keep working. And so um, the longer that prices stay in this 
45 to 50 range. Well, I think we'll we'll see some gap made, uh, some margin made back up there. But it's still going to take a while before vendors feel comfortable um, raising their rates up to where they were maybe you know late 2016 ish. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Well, uh, Ryan, I think uh, I think that covers that article. Is there anything you want to say before we uh, we move over to the New York Times article? Well. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to bring it up that you know, Josh, that this we we, we skipped the surface of this thing. There's a lot of good stuff in here. John Kemp yes. does a good job. There's um, links to graphs and all kinds of stuff. So check him out and make sure you are subscribed to his email list. Um, if you want to get on his email list and you're not, email me Ryan at globalenergymedia.com and I will get you on his email list because it is really worth it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, going over to the New York Times article, we've uh, we joke about all the all the conversations we have about Mexico, Ryan. And uh, I think there's a lot going on, um, a lot of opportunities that are coming available. One of the things that I wasn't as clear on uh, until I read this article was uh, was the, the moves that have been being made in Mexico have a lot to do with the, uh, the state control of energy and how they're starting to release that control um, to different companies and, and businesses. And that that has really been uh, the watershed uh, difference that's being that's happening right now in the in the Mexican energy sector. Um, I, I guess you probably were much more aware of this than I was, but uh, it, it was kind of shocking to me to see that this is this is really what started the takeoff in the Mexican energy sector was uh, the the state really uh, getting rid of some of the regulations and opening the opening the opportunities up for businesses like bp and and uh, companies like that to start doing some work right right well and you know i think the good thing about this article was um and we talked about before um i know folks that are working in mexico are trying to work in mexico as well and they're they're, they're still the market is still a little concerned about what exactly the mexican government is going to do you know how um how valid are these contracts is one way you could describe it because you know you've had the government who's done stuff I think it says in here for like you know seven decades or something. They've done it like this way for a long time, and now long time. right. So now they're changing. And anytime you bring in new legislation, and I don't care uh, what country you're in, but the same with the U.S. Josh, you'll hear um, President Obama, President Trump, or Congress or whoever they will roll out new legislation, and then you know you'll you'll kind of forget about it, and then six eight months later you'll see the uh, the Supreme Court is being tested, you know you know or the or the local regional appeals court, you know it's going through the process of being tested, and people are are suing and trying to see how that works. Now, I have no idea how the Mexican government works as far as um, legislation goes, but I do know that people are concerned about that. Okay, well, the Mexican government said has said they're going to do this, and they're going to do this, but that, that really hasn't been put to the stress test, right? It really hasn't gone through the paces to make sure that you know the courts are going to back up the contracts and stuff like this. However, this article seems to be the best indication that I've read to date that, that these things, um, they're going to be legit, um, and, and I don't think legit's the right word to use, maybe, Josh, but they are going to be... Um, that 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 that, um, that companies are feeling confident, maybe is a better word, that these contracts are going to be upheld because we're looking at some shallow water offshore drilling here. This, this talks about you have a U.S. firm who's who's backing this, is going to put a lot of money into it, and um, it's good. It's good because we want these we want this Mexican energy reform to go, and we want it to go for a lot of reasons. We want it to go a because that would bring jobs to the Mexican. Mexican economy, which will be a good thing, um, and we want North America to be energy as energy um, independent, if you will, um, as we can. And so, there's a lot of good things here. I was very encouraged by this. Uh, we've kind of, like you said, we joked about it being the Texas, Texas Mexico 
um, podcast, but I was really encouraged by this article because this is the best sign that I've seen so far that um, that these that that big money is finally going to be going into Mexico. I know we've talked about it. There were some hopes, but it looks like we finally maybe gotten past that that corner. Yeah, and I think uh, if anyone is wondering, you know, um, if you haven't been listening to some of our previous episodes, uh, the relevance to Mexico is that we have uh, we have pipelines, I believe it's Corpus Christi and Eagleford, that are going to be trying to um, transport oil to Mexico. So it's going to be huge job opportunities for Texas if these uh, regulations and if everything goes as, as it appears that it is going to go, it's going to create huge opportunities for the Texas um, oil industry as well. Yeah, and you know, uh, we, we've said it on here before, but said again, I'm a free markets guy, and so I want the market to um, to thrive and to work. And so, you know, government regulation is one of the biggest constraints on the market. And so kudos to Mexico for, for seeing their people had a need, that they're, they're energy deprived. If you look at this, you know, they only produced, uh, two, they were producing 2.5 million barrels a day last year. But that was um, a few million barrels a day off the pace. Uh, I'm sorry, a million barrels a day off the pace than a decade before. So they were at like 3.5 million barrels a day um, in the early 2000s, and now they're down to 2.5 million barrels a day. So the Mexican government said, "Okay, what we're doing doesn't work." And I think, Josh, this is a prediction here, and I've thrown this out to some people, and some people agree, some people disagree. But I think that what we're seeing in Mexico eventually will be the catalyst for countries around the world, coupled with some of this other stuff that's going on, for more. Uh, market-driven societies to open up and to flourish um, because they're going to look to Mexico and they're going to say, wow, look at all those capital resources that came in. Look at all the entrepreneurs who came in. Look at all the money that poured in. Jobs were created. Trade was opened up. And this was a really good thing. So I'm excited. And like you say, it does tie to Texas. It's going to create more opportunity for Texas because Texas is going to play an integral role over the next decade in filling the demand for Mexico. We're going to be able to build pipelines. We're going to be able to ship stuff to them. There's infrastructure that has to be built. And so, it, yeah, this is this was very I was very excited to read this. Yeah, me too. Me too. And you know, just mentioning that is opportunities over in in Africa and uh, Middle East. I mean, there's all sorts of barriers and things that that make uh, that make work very difficult because of government regulations. And like you like you say, it would be a dream if Mexico, where it was to in the next ten years, becomes you know. Uh, to, to rise to the level of of uh, America in terms of energy and success and prosperity, and then to see like maybe other countries like Africa, South South Africa, start to try to model uh, their their economy after that. I mean, that would be that would just be a dream, and that would be fantastic. Yeah, it, it would be great. It'd be great for the people of Mexico. It would give them jobs, good paying jobs. Um, it'd give them access to energy. Um, and I don't know, I don't have the numbers in front of me. What percentage of Mexico has access to st- stable energy? Um, but regardless, I know right now that they are hurting. Their oil production is down. Uh, they don't have a lot of natural gas in play, and so uh, they don't. Even, they can't even build the infrastructure in time to to make up the deficit. So this is it's exciting, and uh, we'll be I'm sure talking about this uh, in weeks to come. Well, uh, go ahead and moving over. We have a, uh, an article uh, about the Permian Basin. Uh, this is from Oil and Gas 360. Uh, the claim of the article is that the Permian Basin, not the OPEC, will determine normal oil prices from here out. Uh, read through the article, a couple of interesting things that are in there, a couple of questionable things, uh, some things that I, I don't necessarily think are, uh, are logical and some of the conclusions that he's making. Nevertheless, some of the things could turn out to be true, uh, certainly. Um, what did you think about the Ryan overall, uh, the article, Ryan? 
Yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll say it like this, Josh. Um, so I don't know who I – don't, I don't see who wrote the article on here. It's from OilandGas360.com. But I would say it like this. Based upon what's in the article, I don't understand why he came or she came to the conclusions that they did. It, it, it doesn't – I can't really follow the line of argumentation. Um, but before we get to that, there is something – and we touched on this earlier um, – and, th- and this is something that the, the, that the author called is that it says that hyper cost conscious in the t- I'm sorry it says that EP pr- that produce uh, take that again it says that shell operators have become hyper cost conscious in the two years since the oil crash sucked sixty percent of the value and that's true so he, he um, whoever the author is here has called on the fact that they are cost conscious um, and they're tying that into the Permian and they're saying that the Permian is the most um, lucrative spot to drill. So we're, we're all good there. They're cost-conscious. We talked about that already. The Permian's really good. They've got a good chart here you can go look at. I'm, I'm following with them there. The problem is, um, and the title of the article, just to set the stage right, um, is that Permian Basin operators, not OPEC, will determine normal oil prices from here out. And the, the problem with that is, is that, I don't know why. We, we looked up the, the numbers before we got on, Josh, and it, it was the Permian puts out, I think we, we found an article that said they were hoping to put out, what, 2.5 million barrels 2. a day? 2.5, 2.5 million. Okay, so I think the projection was 2.5 million barrels a day by May of this year, and then they're hoping by 2020 to add another 2.5 or something like that. So five, so by 2020 or 2022, they're hoping to do 5 million barrels a day, right? Um, yeah. And then the number... Uh, in 2016, I think is the the quickest thing we could pull up. In 2016, we we were hitting 97 million barrels a day globally. Is that right? Yep. Okay, so we're drilling 97 million barrels a day globally, and the Permian right now is putting out 2.5. Let's say, um, and just for the math for for folks like me, Josh, who aren't math majors out there, what percentage is that? Uh, you're gonna be looking at between two and three percent. Okay, so yeah, this yeah, less than less than ten percent, less than five percent, really small number there. So I don't understand when people say that the Permian will have this kind of influx because think about what we, what we talked about so far. We just talked about Mexico coming online, and they're they. So we know that Mexico has lost a million barrels a day. Okay, so a million barrels a day. If you brought that back online. Um, that's almost half of what the Permian's doing right now, 2.3 million barrels a day or 2.5, whatever we said it was. So a little less than half of that. So Mexico can potentially bring that back on because they've lost it in a decade, and they're hoping to bring on more than that. So Mexico's going to bring on more oil. Um, and then we have OPEC cuts, and we've talked about this week after week, that the OPEC cuts haven't been deep enough for us to keep um, the price where we want it to be. So, And then last week, I think it was, Josh, we talked about maybe knocking off another 150 rigs. Um, and so you just start looking at all these factors, and for me, I'm not saying that the, that the author's wrong here. I just don't understand with all the factors that come into play, how much oil is on the global scale. Um, if OPEC decided tomorrow, you know what, we're going to ramp up production, it would seem that that would kind of overthrow what he's saying here. So I, I don't understand. Yeah. I, I get the numbers, and I get what he's saying on some level. I just don't understand how we make this leap from A to B. And, and I would love to uh, have the author on, and maybe they can explain it to us, and we go, okay, I get it now. But as the article stands, it's one of these things where you read it and you go, I just don't understand how you get to that point. No, I, I, that's, that's my point. I think he makes a couple of points uh, about the, the U.S. oil economy where he says that 40% of all U.S. onshore rig counters presently in the Permian Basin operating rigs. Um, and he, he talks about uh, some of the break-even prices and how the Permian is kind of the, the really the center of American oil, uh, which that – that's true. Um, I think that's true. But uh, like you said, drawing the conclusion that therefore the Permian is going to be the major driver in oil prices globally, 
not OPEC. That just seems it just I, I don't understand where that connection is being drawn either. Um, that was a uh, kind of was drawing a blank there, and I, and I read over the article a couple times to try to see what I was missing, and I couldn't I couldn't really draw that connection. Right, right, and so so let's just kind of recap here. There's a lot of good facts in the article. We don't we're, I, sure. I don't think we're contending most of the facts in the article. It's just simply going from those facts to the prediction. That's where I'm struggling to make that connection at because, um, you know, I, I just I I just don't I just don't see that there, and so um, we'd love to. To have the author on to, to, to set us straight because, you know, Josh, we need to be set straight from time to time. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time you've been set straight, but I just uh, I just don't see it as of right now. Sure. Well, uh, finishing up there, we have uh, a final article we wanted to jump into. This is our uh, call for business development. Uh, a company, Carrizo Oil and Gas Builds at Eagleford, pursues new potential in Delaware acquisition. Uh, they're trying to make some moves, uh, so they're – uh, somebody to check out if uh, if you're interested in looking for possible job opportunities, go and check out Carrizo. Uh, they have uh, they're making some moves, so we we kind of foresee some job opportunities that are going to be coming up available. Yeah, uh, with yeah. them. Yep. Uh, Ryan, we need to link that in the show notes uh, so that they can go and take a look at the article. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there about their acquisitions and some of the stuff they're doing in the Delaware Basin. And, you know, they got 160,000 net acres in the Eagleford. But uh, just kind of link that uh, in the show notes, and we will uh, let some of our listeners go and check that out if they're interested. Yep, especially if you're uh, down in the Eagleford. they got a lot of stuff, a lot of acres down there. So, Yep, absolutely. Well, uh before we uh, before we hit the rig count, are there any last things we wanted to touch on, uh, Ryan? Uh, no, Josh. I think that's it. Um, really enjoyed the discussion today, and I uh, I went back and looked while we were kind of on this, and I could not find who wrote this article. So I'm not sure if this is a. Uh, I don't know if we can even track down the author of this. I think it comes from uh, Intercom, and so maybe it's just a uh, company report or something like that. Yeah, I was searching it too, man. I was uh, going to hit them on Twitter or something and see if we could uh, get any any clarification. But uh, jumping into uh, the rig count, I wanted to uh, tell the listeners, last week we said that there was a drop in the rig count, and uh, Baker Hughes is where we were pulling this information from. They hadn't updated it. Uh, we, we were looking at it. That was actually the previous week. So last week it was up 12. Uh, it didn't drop by one. Uh, so we apologize for that. And I'm looking at it today, and it hasn't updated. It's still uh, last week's rig count. So uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, just go to uh, to Baker Hughes. Uh, I think it's .net, rigcount.net, um, and uh, take a look at some. Yeah, just Google it. Yeah. Yeah. And so just so, just so the listeners know, Josh, it may be a little bit confusing. We record this every Friday at 10 a.m., and then we usually try to release it on Monday, and so um, so that's so if you're listening to this and you pull up your phone, it probably will have the updated rig count. Yeah. And on past episodes, it has had the updated rig count, but the past couple of weeks, or whatever, um, we just we we realized that after we released the podcast last week, that we saw some reports that contradicted what we said, and we're like, oh no, the uh, the app hadn't whatever reason we use the app on our iPhone, and it just hadn't updated. So apologize about uh, apologies about that, and that's why if you listen to the show. Um, on when it comes out on Monday, you will see that the the current count is out. Yep, absolutely. All right, man. I think that I think that's it. Do you have any uh, any plugs for the APIYP or? Uh... Um, no, I haven't. You know, I I haven't heard from the APIYP in a little while. I need to check in. I think I mentioned that a few weeks ago, and I still 
haven't checked in, so you'll be beating me up about that again. But um, <laughs> next week is the E3 Summit. We had the folks on from Talk Texas Oil uh, when you were in the Bahamas a few weeks ago. And that is next week on the 19th in Abilene, Texas. And so if you're in that area, interested in that stuff, uh, I think it's e3stem.org. I'll link to it in the show notes, whatever it is. And um, I'll be there. The Jackie Daly Show will be there. And uh, all kinds of folks from all kinds of places, a lot of universities will be in attendance as well. So that will be uh, July 19th in Abilene, Texas. And if you're coming, let me know. Find me on Twitter, at Ryan Ray Sr. I would love to meet up, grab a cup of coffee, or um, just sit down and chat for a few minutes. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And until next time, keep climbing. (laughs) 